The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to our Spotify Live Live Lions Q&A show here on the Spotify Live app, uh, Pride of Detroit. Part of our Pride of Detroit podcast series. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the editor-in-chief over at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. As always, I have two fantastic co-hosts with me for these Spotify Live sessions. Let's throw it to Ryan this time first. Ryan, our senior editor at Pride of Detroit, at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan Matthews is the full name. Ryan, how are we doing this afternoon? Santa brought it early. Wow. Wonderful co-hosts. <laughs> That's uh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm doing well. The birds are in full effect because uh, I think their homes have been rained on today, but uh, we're not going to be raining on any parades today, right? We're going to keep chugging the Kool-Aid, right? It is it is flowing, and as, as much as I want to uh, abstain, it, it's hard not to get swept up in the excitement right now. Uh, speaking of Kool-Aid, I know he's going to hate that intro. <laughs> <laughs> is our managing editor of Pride in Detroit at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. It's Eric Schlitt. What do you mean? I, I don't drink much Kool Aid. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't pass it out. I don't make it. I don't do any of that stuff. Mm, no. <laughs> don't mix the powder yourself. None of that. <laughs> I have a factory in my house. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if this is your first time listening, uh, this is our Spotify live show where we take live calls, Q and A style, radio call and style, whatever you want to call it. And we are going to tarry no further and get to our first caller. Justin is with us. Justin, are you there? Hey, can you hear me? Yep. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good morning. Good morning, Justin. Um, my question is, like, you know, I've seen all the, the beat writers, including, you know, uh, Jeremy and Eric, I know, put out their predictions for the 2022 season. Um, I, I guess I'm a little cautious and, like, uh, nervous about all the you know nine and eights and eights and nines I'm seeing for these predictions. Are we getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here in terms of what we expect out of this 2022 team? I mean, I know you know injuries struck us poorly last year, and we made some improvements in the offseason through the draft and a couple of good signings through free agency. But I guess I'm just I'm a little worried that we're putting too much pressure on this team and and that they're going to fall short of expectations and people are going to get upset. I guess what are your guys' thoughts on that? 
I, we're, we're hitting the Kool-Aid hard now. So now, now we're challenging the Kool-Aid here. And it, it's an interesting thought too, because while locally we're all predicting this, I think it's worth pointing out that the, the win total for this team at Vegas is set either six or six and a half. So um, well short of maybe some local expectations. So um, Eric, I, I see you're unmuted here. And, and w- one thing that kind of struck me and maybe had me take a step back this week was something that you're working on behind the scenes a little bit. Do you want to get into that a little bit, maybe? Oh, if you want, I mean, we can talk about um, basically what we've started looking at is how do we, we've we've talked about how this roster has changed over the last, um, you know, two years since Brad Holmes took over. And most of our thought process has been that uh, we've seen these kind of big leaps and and there's just been this like really big overhaul. And and so this week I I took the 90 man roster following the 2020 draft and compared it to the 90 man roster today. Uh, And it was actually, you know, I think you put it best. It it was quite a bit humbling to when you compare the two rosters, because while there is specific groups that have been completely reworked, there's still a lot of carryover between uh, the 2020 team and the, and the 2022 team. And so, um, you know, like almost every position has at least one guy who was like on that 53 man roster, right? Like Blau at quarterback, Swift at running back, Cephas at, at receivers. Like there always seems to be like a lingering guy at, at, at every position. And so it's, 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 got me wondering like are we are we putting the cart in front of the horse a little bit too soon um you know like we when you look at like edge rusher edge rusher has had a complete makeover uh a wide receiver pretty much a complete makeover but like other position groups like you're still holding on to like key guys in key roles like Jeff Okuda, O-R-E-A, Tracy Walker, Will Harris, like those four guys were the starters in 2020 and the starters now, right? Like, so yeah, we've added guys like um, Kirby Joseph and you've, you've added youth and, and uh, Melifanu and Jacobs and, and uh, you know, AJ Parker and stuff, but like the key players, um, there's still a lot of these guys that, you know, are hanging around. Now, obviously they've developed two more years. So they're not rookies anymore. Like they were in 2020. A lot of these guys are rookies, but like, yeah, it, it, it is. If you want to slow the Kool-Aid down a little bit, start looking at how many guys are still on the roster and say, when it comes, when we cut down to 53, how much of the roster has actually been changed? And it's, it's probably about half, you know, maybe a little over half, but there's still a lot of key pieces that are still there that were deemed like potential problems or, or not quite good enough back then. And, you know, have they developed far enough along now? And, or, you know, and it, I mean, for me, it tells me that it confirms what we've been saying the whole time is this team may be at least one more year away from being, you know, in a lot better spot. So um, I don't know, give you, share your thoughts on it. Well, to me, I I think it was kind of just a stark reminder of how stacked the offensive lineup was a couple of years ago. Like I know, I know we're all excited about the wide receiver core right now, but in 2022 it was Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, Jamal Agnew. Like that's not bad. And obviously TJ Hawkinson was there and DeAndre Swift was there. So like there was a lot of weapons Mm -hmm. and a much better quarterback here. Two years yeah. ago. 
so I, I think maybe that kind of hit me a little bit more than anything. Like I'm really excited about DJ Chark and Jameson Williams being added to the core. And obviously Amon Ra is uh, a, a very promising young player, but I'm not so much sure it's, it's really that much better than what we had a few years ago. And like I said, the, the downgrade in quarterback, probably pretty significant. And I know a lot of people are upset with us hating on Jared Goff. And I don't think like uh, who was it? pro football network put it out there that he's the, the 28th best quarterback in the league or anything like that. I'm, I'm not that down on Jared Goff, but mm. I, I think maybe those that are expecting like, wow, everything is put together. The offensive line is also kind of almost the same. Well, you've, you've upgraded Ode right, Abouche yeah. to Panay Sewell. So that's, that's right. quite a big upgrade. It's, but, but I guess the, the point still stands that like four out of the five are, are still yeah. the same starters. Yeah. Um, but obviously Frank Ragnow and Jonah Jackson are better than they were back then, but yeah. it's just, it's just kind of surprising to see the offensive lineup so similar. Yeah, um, at least in terms of talent level, in my opinion. I think the thing that if you're looking for the glasses half full perspective here is that it's it's the depth that really, I think, is sure. what's what's noticeably different. Right. Like Josh Reynolds is going to produce more than Jamal Agnew did. Amon Ross St. Brown is going to produce better than Amandola and then our uh, Amandola. And then, um, but like you've upgraded your offensive line, you've added a lot more depth on the, uh, on the defensive line, you've added more depth in the secondary, like instead of Desmond Trufant, who was almost, you know, he, he was, he struggled that year in 2020 and Daryl Roberts, who struggled that year, you've got Melifanwu and Jacobs and Mike Hughes, who are younger and guys that you're hoping to ascend. So for me, it it just it keeps re, reaffirming the the fact that they still need to find impact players, but they are adding the depth of the team is getting better. So while there's a lot of carryover and and, and that tells us we have a, a way to go, there's still some optimistic you know angles to to take away from comparing the two rosters. Reiner, are you gonna slow the Kool Aid down a little bit here, or are you double fisting right now? Uh, no, I'm, I'm adding more sugar, um, more <laughs> sugar, uh, sugar water, uh, for your men in black references that you want to grab. So here, here's the thing. I think Justin brought up a good point, right? Like injuries, right? Injuries are what hampered the lions opportunity last year to take stock of what they had at a few positions, right? Romeo Aquara going down. That really hurt. Jeff Okuda going down. That really hurt. Even, you know, a Fatu Melifanwu. Um, you know, some of the players in, you know, some of the un, truly unknown players that kind of just flash like Jerry Jacobs, you know, those guys suffered injuries that, you know, um, sent them to the IR. I think like right now, I agree with Eric, like you look at a lot of the, um, the top of the depth chart and the, the questions still remain. I, I'm still optimistic though, because I think and it is a talent league and I completely agree with Eric. Like the lions need to add impact players and they did with their first two picks, you know, at arguably two yeah. of the most important positions, right. Edge rusher and, and wide receiver. I, I still think though, like the thing that we all keep, uh, you know, heralding and kind of singing from the mountaintops, like these birds are doing right now <laughs> is like the coaching staff, right. The coaching staff is such yeah. a stark contrast from that 2020 roster, right? Like, I, I agree, like the, the wide receiver depth, you know, probably pretty similar on paper. But, you know, one of Brad Holmes' best moves was letting Kenny Galladay go because it seems like Matthew Stafford was the thing that made Kenny Galladay successful. 
Um, sure. You know, it, it seems like he was the straw that stirred the drink. So I guess, I guess your level of optimism still really relies on how much you believe in Jared Goff. And I, you know, you, you talked to Jeremy about, you know, what the over under win total is set at six, six and a half. I, I think that's a good number, but I think that that's a number that a lot of Lions fans and obviously the media are, are pretty confident in thinking that, you know, with with the upgrades that they've made this offseason and, and just where this roster is in general, because this is another thing I've noticed, right? Like guys at the bottom of the roster that are no longer with the team are getting picked up by other by other franchises. Yeah. You know, how often did we see that happen during the Matt Patricia era? Rarely, if ever, right? Yeah, you didn't always have guys cut from the 53 yeah, that were picked up exactly. by other teams. Now you're getting guys cut by at the 90 that are getting picked up by other teams. Um, to, to, to mix the Kool-Aid a little bit more, I, I, I want to go back to when Jeremy and I were doing that article uh, about win totals. Um, Jeremy ended up with an 8 and 9 prediction. I had a 9 and 8 prediction. And in all honesty, the intangibles that favor the Lions on their schedule, there's so many that just swing in favor of the Lions um, that it was hard to slow down picking wins. Like, it, it really was. Like, we were looking at this going, well, that's a win, and that's a win. And then we're like, okay, slow down. But if, we're, if we keep going this way, we're going to give them 12 wins. Because, honestly, there are 12 games that they could win. Now, are they going to win all 12? No. I mean, that's, that's not how the NFL works. But at the same time, there are 12 games on that schedule that they could win. And I think that's where right. the optimism comes from. And, yeah. and, that's, and that's in such stark contrast to, like, when you look at a team like the Jets. Like the Jets' first 10 games, they will undoubtedly be underdogs. Uh, on the road, at home, doesn't matter. Like, it, like to, to, to your point, Eric, like it just seems like the Lions have a schedule where it's like they could win that game. Like they, they could go into Chicago and, and win a game. They could go into Minnesota and win a game. Yeah, and there's and it's not just the opponents, but it's when you right. get them. You get and the Giants are like that too. You get the Giants, the Jets, and Jacksonville all late in the season, all when they could be like one and nine. You know what I mean? Like, and if you get those teams that are one and nine and aren't really looking to that are, it's hard to to dig deep and find motivation. And if you're they're coming up against the Lions team who's five hundred and somewhat still in the hunt and more in the hunt than they've been in the last several years. Well, then that, again, it's, a, it's an intangible that kind of tips in the Lions' favor. I got, I got one last thing to add, and it kind of – I think this balances the Kool-Aid out well, is the – you know, DraftKings Sportsbook has already put out lines for all 17 games. Lions are favored in four. So on one end, that's, again, maybe a little bit humbling. They're only favored in four games. A lot of those are under four points, though. And so it kind of speaks to what you were saying, Eric. All these games are kind of toss-ups. Lions could theoretically end up on the on the plus side of those – uh, you know, up to 13, 14 games, maybe even um, given some of the lines. Um, but, but in the end, that's only four games. But you look back to last year, do you guys remember how many games lines were favored in? At this zero, point? zero, Z- zero is correct. So yeah. hey, progress. And all, all, all those lines are going to change too. When they come out and smack Philadelphia in the mouth, let's go. <laughs> all right. Well, that was supposed to be a segment on why uh, maybe to step take a step back from the Kool-Aid and I don't think we convinced anybody. All so. gas, no brakes. <laughs> Appreciate the question, Justin. Thanks guys. All right. Let's move on to our next caller. Nick is with us. Nick, how you doing? I'm good. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Loud and clear. 
Well, thank you uh, for doing this. Uh, we all really enjoy it. Um, I have two quick ones. Uh, the first one, a uh, lot of Lions beat writers have answered this a few times now, um, but I think it keeps getting asked just because it's really important to the status of the rebuild. And so that question is, um, is Jamison Williams smiling enough? Okay, and seriously, um, uh, the real question I have is what position group do you think is most susceptible to a starter going down? Which one has the least depth? I feel like it might be tight end, maybe safety, maybe defensive tackle, but I was wondering what your thoughts were on depth of the position groups if, you know, an injury happens. It's a good question. Uh, I think the cheating answer is quarterback, right? I don't know if anyone here is very excited about David Blauer, uh, Tim Boyle starting another game, but uh, let, let's pass. Let's punt on quarterback, and and you also can't say punter now that I've said the word punt. So. Yeah, I was um, gonna go there. Nope, <laughs> I'm not gonna let you do it. Uh, Ryan, why don't you start with us? Start here. First. Yeah, I, I think it's linebacker. I really do. Um, and I know a lot of people are optimistic, myself included. I know Jeremy and I just had a really good conversation with Scott Wright from the Oklahoman about, you know, Malcolm Rodriguez and, you know, the linebacker depth though, I think it just leaves a lot to be desired. And Nick, I, I don't agree. I, you know, I don't disagree with you um, at all. Like, you know, safety is another position where if, you know, if a guy goes down all of a sudden now you're counting on, you know, if Deshaun Elliott goes down. Okay. Now it's, we're, we're, we're back to Will Harris. We're, we're back to, you know, Hey, it's going to be Kirby Joseph's time to step up. And, 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 and that's, and that's, you know, kind of concerning, but I think that's where the the linebacker thing is so concerning to me because it's, you're counting on a big jump from Derek Barnes. Like he showed signs of improvement last year, but I mean, he's going to have to take a big leap and he's already considered to be a, a starter, you know, with Anzalone and, and, and you Jared Davis, like the depth is just, it's really concerning. Like, I, I don't think that they have starter level talent or even like replaceable starter level talent at, at linebacker and Jameson Williams can smile or he can frowny face as much as he wants. <laughs> Eric, what do you think? I, I think it's a, it's a hard question to answer um, because there's so many unknowns specifically like at linebacker, like we don't even know who's starting, right? Like yeah, we, we have a guess, but we don't really have any answers. Right. So like, linebacker might not even need an injury to be worried about <laughs> yeah, it. Like that's, that's, that, that's, that's the thing with linebacker. So I think linebacker is a very obvious choice. Um, but like a lot of the positions, it goes, this goes back to the first question where we talk about how the depth just seems better this year. If a safety yeah. goes down, well, you've got four safeties that can probably play in three spots, right? Um, it, well, if Jeff Akuda and Jerry Jacobs are not ready to play, well, you've still got Melifanu and, and Hughes sitting there. You know what I mean? So, like, if if Aquara isn't ready to come back, you have Charles Harris and you have Josh Pascal. Um, you know, I, I'm personally I always worry about the the pro, the high profile positions. Like, if Taylor Decker goes down, um that would concern me because Matt Nelson's back in the starting lineup. You know what I mean? Like he's serviceable, but he's not good. And that would be a big blow to a unit that could really be the driving force of what this offense could do. So um, yeah, I think they're still vulnerable at a, at where it's going to hurt to lose almost any starter. Um, 
but I mean, yeah, I, I think a linebacker seems like the really obvious choice just because there's so many unknowns there. Well, well, you know, to Nick's point, Eric, um, mm-hmm. tight end, right? Like yeah. you just highlighted sure. some positions on offense. Like if TJ mm-hmm. Hawkinson goes down, it's like, oh, we're we're counting on Griffin. Brock Wright or we're Griffin counting or Mitchell, on yeah. James Mitchell to be ready from his ACL injury. And and I think it's such an important position, right? Because I think that's what this offensive yeah. Uh, philosophy in terms of Ben Johnson and, and, you know, Dan Campbell, I think that that's really part of their offensive identity is they, they really want to have at least two tight ends on the field. I mean, what happens if Chark goes down and Jamison Williams not ready? Then you're back to St. Brown, Reynolds, and what? I mean, it's probably Cephas is probably you're going to start then. You know what I mean? What happens yeah. if St. Brown goes down? Oh, my gosh. Like, I, I should be, I like, shunned suddenly, just from saying that. Yeah, I, mean, I suddenly don't like this conversation much. But, I mean, the, but you still have Khalif <laughs> yeah. Raymond, who I think could, could be – again, you have a lot of guys that could be serviceable, right? And, and, and that's about all that I think – I that I'm not – I'm okay, I'm okay with. Because, again, this is – stage two of the rebuild right but there are but it, they if they're if they stay healthy they can win however many games right they can win they can outkick the the 6.5 but injuries and where they happen it's it's going to be really important jeremy this is the reverse jinx part of the podcast <laughs> oh, okay so, yeah we needed that <laughs> no worries here if i'm on Ra goes down then we're all getting aboard the khalil pimpleton train right that's that's what we have to Choo-choo. do <laughs> choo-choo-choo all right no, no, no. Uh, no. all right <laughs> nick thanks for the question man thank you guys no problem all right we got time we'll try to fit one more in this segment here michael is joining us the uh my question is about quarterbacks looking around the nfc north we have rogers and green bay which is obviously the class we have Justin Fields in Chicago, who I just feel sorry for with what he stepped into. <laughs> and then it's us in Minnesota. So Jared Goff, we always say, can play up to the talent around him. And then you've got the quarterback in Minnesota, who I think limits him. He's an above-average quarterback, but he doesn't make any of the talent better. So my question to you is, would you rather have somebody that can rise with the talent around them or a guy that has a medium high level cap on his ability. What do you, which would you prefer? Ooh, that's a tough question. And it's kind of tough because I, in a lot of ways, I don't know. I view the talent level of Jared Goff and Kirk Cousins almost on a similar level because I don't know. Kirk Cousins, <gasps> what does that guess for? Noted Vikings fan, Jeremy Reisman. <laughs> Listen, it, it's, it's tough to separate cousins from the talent that he's always had True. because yep. maybe not always has had but I mean, like Diggs had a really good justin strong, jefferson yeah and they've always had a strong running game too and i sure. think that, that that leads to a lot of and i know a good running game doesn't necessarily mean that your your play action is going to be more effective but i think he's worked well in a lot of play action heavy offenses and that's the same with jared goff right like when he had a really good offensive line and a really good core of receivers and a good running game in Todd Gurley, like that's when he was at his best. So I, I think the, the problem is that Kirk has done it longer and more consistently. And and that's why, if, if that's what this conversation is, Kirk Cousins versus Jared Goff, I think I would still lean Jared Goff. Or I'm, I'm sorry, I still would lean Kirk Cousins just because he's been more consistent throughout his entire career. Um, I don't know. Am, am, I, am I off base there? No, I don't think you are. Like if you look back at like the past like seven seasons for cousins 
um, he's consistent enough that he's put up over 4,000 yards in all but one of them, right? And then if you look back to Goff's six seasons, he's gone over 4,000 yards only twice. You know what I mean? So, like, he he, he he's just a little bit more consistent in, in, in what he produces. And, and yeah, there's, uh, there's a higher level of talent that is around Kirk cousins right now. And, and of course, Jared Goff's high seasons were when he had a, a, a larger, you know, a base of talent around him as well. But I think cousins has just like, he was putting up 4,000 yard seasons in Washington when the talent wasn't as great. Right. And, and I think he's just, he is a, he is this kind of, I think both of them are kind of, if you were to rank them, they'd be in between like, quarterback like 14 and quarterback 20 right um but i do think cousins has has shown like the ability to be more consistent and and, and that's what is appealing to me at, at quarterback is that if you're going to be an average quarterback or a slightly above average quarterback if you can do it on a consistent basis it just makes it a little bit easier to to win as an offense so um if i had to choose between the two of them based purely on on talent i i would say i i think cousins would be is the better player uh but if you start looking at the totality of the player and the contract and all the other things that come along with it i'm not as uh i'm not as uh inclined to pick uh cousins in those uh ass avenues i'm sure it has nothing to do with where he went to school <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> unbelievable you 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 too um <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, like, like if we, if we slightly modified Michael's question real quick, like, I mean, like, take it back to like a guy who like raises all of the players around him, i.e. Matthew Stafford, right, versus somebody like Jared Goff, who's, you know, surrounded by considerably, you know, maybe more talent than, uh, than Stafford was towards the end of his, you know, tenure in Detroit. Like, I think I uh, obviously you you'd want the you want the guy who helps you know raise all the ships, right? But um yeah between Goff and cousins like pain maybe pain is a good choice <laughs> can can we bring the other quarterback into the discussion here a little bit because i'm not not aaron Rodgers for for the record we don't need to talk about him um but i'm, I'm kind of curious as to, to what your guys thoughts are on justin fields like obviously he's not in the greatest situation in terms of supporting cast but i feel like i don't know i feel like lions fans have done a complete 180 on the guys since he got drafted like the the night he was drafted everyone was scared and mad and um convinced Chicago had finally found their their quarterback they lacked basically their entire franchise career now after one season it seems like everyone has just gone in the other direction like he's a joke he's not going to do anything in Chicago maybe maybe that has more to do with his supporting cast but I don't know I I saw a lot of scary good passes from that guy last year and every rookie quarterback goes through some of the struggles that he was going through. So I don't know. I still view him as a potential threat, maybe not this year, but down the line. Am I, am I off? No, I don't think you're off base. Um, You know, like even the new coaching staff uh, in front office, when they came in, were not impressed with fields this rookie year. Like they even said, yeah, if he struggles, we might have to replace him." And um, you know, they were, now they're talking about him saying, Oh, he's, you know, he's great. Now that the draft has passed, they're like, Oh, he's great. And we love everything about him. And he could have an elite sophomore season. And 
uh, I mean, those are pretty big words for, uh, you know, what he has around him and, and what the Chicago is, you know, expected to be able to do. But yeah, I mean, he, the talent is there, but it's a, it's a consistency for, thing for him right now. And so I think that downgrades him a little bit, you know, but like you said, he's a guy who can develop. He, you, you see flashes of, of, of really highly, of a really highly talented player. Um, I mean, you know, he has the, the, the mentality to be a good player. Look at, look at, remember the national championship game when he was hurt and he was just like cutting up uh, Alabama, like trying to get that victory. Like he played his butt off. Like, there's still that in him, right? And I know we want to, uh, it's it's easy to to disqualify him based on a, a poor rookie season and the fact that he's in the division. But yeah, I think there's enough there to be concerned about because he is a talented uh, he is a talented player, but he he still has a lot to prove. You know, he yeah. still has to show he can do it. Chicago still has to be able to add pieces around him. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't think we can dismiss him yet. Yeah, I I think to that point, like if if I'm redrafting the quarterbacks from from last year from 2021, like I I think he should have been the second quarterback off the board behind Trevor Lawrence. So I think I think he's got a lot of promise to his game. It's just are the Bears gonna Bears or are they gonna they gonna you know surround that guy with some talent? So neither of you guys are on the board of that viral Bears tweet that was like Justin Fields is gonna throw 40 touchdowns, run for another 20, and get MVP. No. All right. Fair enough. All right. (laughs) Thanks for the question, Michael. Uh, And with that, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, more of your Lions questions right here on Spotify Live. Saturday morning, come join us. Download the app. We'll be right back. We are back here on Spotify Live, answering your Detroit Lions questions every Saturday morning on the Spotify Live app. Check prideofdetroit.com for date and time. Uh, let's move right back into our calls. We've got Mathis on the line. Mathis, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right, guys. How are you? Good, good. All right. Um, so my question is, um, so one, so this is just. I've said this on Twitter, but um, one of one of my um, one of my theories about golf is um, one of the reasons his play declined is because um, Brandon Cooks um, got was he was there in 2018 when he had his great year. He was injured in 2019 and then he wasn't there in 2020. Um, So so. And Brandon Cooks is a very is a kind of a deep threat, but he seems to be a great wide receiver that improves everybody around him. So my question is, do you think that golf can take advantage of Jamison Williams, who is clearly a big play threat? He got 20 yards per reception in college. So and had like the most deep touchdowns of anybody in college, I believe. Um, so do you think uh Jared Goff can take advantage of that, and and um, do, do you think he, do you think he can uh, execute with him? It's a good question, Mathis, because I do think that's 
generally the idea of what Brad Holmes is building, right? Like he saw that big play potential. I mean, that Rams offense was as good as it's ever been back then. Even, even I think compared to this year, like the stats when, when golf was an, an, almost an MVP candidate, but a pro bowler got them to the Super Bowl. I thought he put very similar statistics than that Matthew Stafford put up. And, and I think that's a, a decent point. Um, let, let me throw it to Eric and, and what, what your thoughts are with, you know, now that the Lions have two really two deep threats in their arsenal how much are we going to see that transform golf scheme? I'm a hundred percent with Mathis on this. Like I, I do think that he gets golf gets labeled as not being able to hit the deep threat. Um, because, but when you look back to those cooks years, he, he showed that he has that, that skill set. When we saw f- a little bit of flash of that late in the year with, with, uh, with uh, Reynolds, right? Uh, we saw him go not be too scared to go deep, but again, Reynolds isn't the you know this speed option that Cooks was. I mean, Cooks just flies, right? And, and that's what you get in Chark, who is a four three four forty guy, and that's what you get in Williams, who's probably like a four two four forty guy, to be honest. And so you get these two guys that can absolutely just take the top off and separate that's going to give golf a lot more options and what'll show up statistically i guess is not just him hitting those deep threats but it's going to open up the under, underneath yak as well right and so st brown is going to you know catch an 8 yard ball and instead of turning it into 12 he can now turn it into 15 and and that will stack up those those yards will will you know become this you'll see the cumulative effect when you start looking at box scores and stuff like that like if you look back to goss um those 2017 2018 when he had cooks he was averaging uh like 8.5 uh, yards per pass attempt. Like last year, it was six six. The year before, his last year in LA, it was six point eight. Right, but he was he was hitting eight point five because the offense was was opened up for him. And so, yeah, I absolutely think that's the strategy. I think that's why Holmes was has, has last year he went after two outside wide receivers that could fly. The problem was is one couldn't stay healthy and one wasn't talented enough. Uh, and now you have two guys that have. Um, you know, shown more on tape and hopefully that will, you know, open up the opportunity for golf to get uh, a little bit more loose with the ball. Are you, are you buying that the wide receiving core is going to open up Jared Goff to be a, a much more explosive quarterback this year, Ryan? Uh, yeah. I, to, to Eric's point, right? Like opening up the underneath stuff and opening up the middle of the field, you know, where, the, where they want to attack up the seams, you know, with, with guys like Hawkinson, especially like, I mean, this, this is kind of like a, like I, I, I. Here's the thing with golf is that I, I think that as long as he can mitigate the mistakes and, and the turnovers, right? Because we saw that last season, like when he threw the interception, that was backbreaking. It often did, you know, break the back of of you know the Lions' chances to to catch a victory. But I, I just can't help but think like what the stuff on the outside is going to open up for the stuff in the middle of this offense and. If, if what Ben Johnson was able to do, because I, I think like Jared Goff, like, like a lot of us have talked about and, you know, circling this point, you know, I, I think that what 
what makes Jared Goff the best is when he's in the right situation. And I, I think that he's in a very, very good spot. He's in a very good situation. So, like, I agree with, you know, what you said earlier, Jeremy, like when you're talking about Pro Football Network calling him the 28th best quarterback, I, I think that's – I mean, this guy is a former, you know, first overall pick, been to the Super Bowl, has had Pro Bowl years. You know, I, I just think that this is a year where, man, the Kool-Aid is strong, isn't it? Goodness gracious. Uh, <laughs> I mean, can you imagine us talking to, about Jared Goff like this, I don't know, last October? No, no. Like, <laughs> if, if I was talking like this, I would have been like, Jeremy, like, I, hospitalization is the next step. Like, um, <laughs> some, like get, get me to a padded room. Um, but, you know, I, I just think that, like, this is kind of like, you know, the perfect storm. And I think Mathis, I, I think he makes a great point about, you know, Brandon Cooks. You know, and the Lions have a couple of deep threats, you know, Shark and... Jameson Williams. So, I mean, it, it seems like everything is is kind of setting up for for Jared Goff to to have the season that he can. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna play both sides here, which is very uncharacteristic wow. of me. I, I, Didn't I never see that, do that. Coming. Um, because one one factor that I think is actually gonna work in his favor is, and, and you mentioned his name briefly, it's Ben Johnson. Because I do I do get the sense that this offense is going to be a lot different both in terms of their goals and in terms of their scheme, all that sort of stuff with him at the helm. Like everything that they've done this off season has told me that they are going to be a deep ball passing team now. Like that, that's, that's something that they're trying to do. I mean, they worked so damn hard to improve this wide receiving core this off season. I mean, how can you draw any other conclusion that this team is not going to be the team that is, you know, bottom three in yards per attempt or really 32nd? most of the year that's where they were last year so I I, th- I think they're going to open things up considerably they're, they're going to increase tempo like they're going to try to put a lot of pressure on the back seven of every defense that they face now and and that should play to a lot of Jared Goff's strength as long as he gets the protection and we know the lines are fairly strong there too but I do I I just I don't want to pretend like once Brandon Cooks was gone from LA they had nobody like that that was still a very talented Rams offense. He you know, he had a pretty good offense. I know one one of his poor years the offensive line didn't live up to its billing, but but the other one it did. And so I I don't want to I mean if if your wider I'm sorry, if your quarterback is that reliant on just one guy, then he has his own set of limitations and we can't ignore as much as we want to excuse the first half of the season with a poor wide receiving core he also made a lot of bad mistakes. He also made a lot of unforced errors. And so I think a key for him is going to be to cut down on those errors, cut down on the the turnovers, because yeah, if you're creating more big plays, that means you can, you can maybe take the brunt of some of those turnovers, but you just, I mean, if, if, if this is going to be a top 10 defense or top 10 offense, like a lot of people think they might be, uh, you're going to have to limit the the turnovers a lot more than, than what we saw last year. Any final comments before we move on to our next? I like it. Okay. Good job, Jeremy. Thank you. Yeah, the Rams had, um, with Cooks that year, they also had Robert Woods and some guy named Cooper Cup, I think is how you pronounce it. Bobby Trees, yeah. (laughs) There you go. Mathis, appreciate the question, man. Thank you, guys. Oh, uh, one more more quick fun fact. you guys remember the the game where he played Kansas City, that crazy Monday night game? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Do you remember who he played the next week? I'm going to guess the Lions. Yeah, that was his worst game, according to <laughs> by, by by almost every measure. If I just looked, I happened to I looked it up right beforehand, and it was kind of crazy how how his best game and his worst game right after. That was the blueprint game, though, right? Yeah, yeah right. Like the that next was... three, like I looked at PFF, the next three PFF grades at like like so it's our grade. That's his worst game of the year. Um, it's also the first game he made a pe- he got a penalty in. Um, and then the next two games, it was just red grade, red grade. Well, there you go. Matt Patricia, defensive genius. I think we should oh, agree on that. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. And we're moving on. Thanks, Mathis. Thanks. He's, he's such a defensive genius. He's coaching the offensive line now. <laughs> All right. Uh, next on the show, we got Daniel. Daniel, are you there? Hey, guys. I'm here. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing great. Uh, the Guerreros, Oaxaca Guerreros, great win last night. But anyway, listen, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, it seems to me the one thing that maybe we haven't talked about that could really make a big difference is the interior of the defensive line. Uh, I kind of have some questions about that. I mean, we know we beefed up the, we beefed up the edge. So um, I want to do this in two parts. First, I've got a, a, or I've got a, a theory that 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 uh, makes me optimistic about Levi stepping up. And, you know, I know he was a disappointment, but now, you know, we find out that he had this lingering back injury. And what was interesting to me, a couple of things were interesting to me, or interesting to me about that. One is that, you know, he had this, he had this back problem. And what the coaching staff said is that he needs to, he needs more strength in his lower body. And um, something I learned from a yoga teacher, oddly enough, but it was that our back is what she called an emergency muscle. Like it's one of the strongest muscles that we have. So like if we're startled or we're under attack or we're in a difficult situation, we're going to over rely on our strongest muscles. Um and I wonder, like, with the back injury, you know, if that was something that, that was going on and that that's why the coaching staff um, has that kind of has that prescription for him. But the other part of that that's interesting to me is that now they're going to be switching from this, uh, you know, I, I guess more of a reactive to an attacking mode. And it seems to me that that's going to, you know, that that if, if that's correct, that Levi's strengthening is – his lower part of his body, he's not going to be relying on his uh, back so much to fight off blocks. Um, you know, that this, that this switch may really favor him and, and maybe we'll, we really will see him take that, that big step up. So I don't know. I'm wondering you guys who, you know, look at a lot more film than I do. I wonder if you can tell me if that's just more Kool-Aid or, or if that's right. But then the other part of it is that, you know, beyond Levi, I mean, this is the second part, you know, we've got like a couple of nose tackles. Are they going to be playing the three tech, you know, and then, you know, are we going to have, you know, there's also this talk about uh, uh, Aiden and Josh Pascal, like moving inside, you know, and, 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 and uh, you know, how's that going to play out? Are we really going to have the depth and the strength that we need on, on the inside of the line? So, yeah. 
I, I think you, you hit on a lot of interesting questions there because, yeah, I mean, you look at the interior of the defensive line, they basically didn't change anything in terms of personnel other than maybe having Josh Pascal kick in during uh, some of the, uh, you know, maybe passing downs. Um, but I think there is kind of this hope uh, that they're banking on that, that obviously Aleem takes a, a step up and then Levi, I think, is, is kind of at the center of that conversation. As you mentioned, there's the injury factor. There's the change in scheme. So I'll throw it to you first, Eric. How much are you buying that just, I guess, those three factors, the year one to year two jump, the getting healthier, and the change of scheme is going to improve this unit? Well, I mean, I think that's their hope, right? Sure. Um, I, you know, Aleem, I think we started seeing flashes of down the stretch. He, he put together, he put together his best like four game stretch uh, in those last like four weeks, I thought. Right. So mm-hmm. um, that showed like him to me anyway, it was an indicator to me that he was settling in. Things were starting to click. The game was starting to slow down. And, and then he was, you know, starting to be able to put into practice what he was learning uh, from the coaching staff. And I mean, like we saw, the potential player he was in camp, right? Like he was just this, he's got these skills. He's just this powerful three technique who can also one technique who can do a lot of these, you know, aggressive things. And I think Levi or uh, Aline being the type of player that he is, he's going to transition to this easily. Um, As we said last year, Aleem is going to be the pivot in this entire defense when they want to go to more four four man front he's going to be at the three when they want to shift to a, a three-man front he's going to be the the nose right and so aleem is really going to be just this pivotal player again for them um brockers is, can live in in both schemes as well i'm not expecting too much of a a swing from him uh, but Levi really should be one of the biggest beneficiaries of this. And and if he can get stronger, which typically happens when you get to the NFL, those, uh, if he can get that back right, which is something we're not, you know, knowledgeable of, uh, unfortunately, we don't have that access. But if if he's healthy, the attacking scheme is very much suited for Levi, right? And And when they drafted Levi. We all thought that they were going to be more attacking than what they ended up being. Um, so I am optimistic that if he, if healthy, this is a scheme where Levi should be a lot more productive and, uh, because his, his first step quickness is really one of his best assets. And this scheme now accentuates that, right? It allows him to attack upfield as opposed to trying to be more gap sound right off the bat. And he's allowed to be more aggressive than reactionary, which is kind of what he was asked to do last year. And it's not something that he's that he can't do. He's just better at being the aggressor. Um, it uh, you uh, Daniel asked about like Penasini. Yeah, I think Penasini is going to have a hard time uh, shifting to this. He's not going to be as effective. He's going to be a guy that they may lean on a little bit more when they do want to shift to three man fronts or his roster spot might be vulnerable because they might end up looking to a different guy like a Jay Sean Cornell, who's a player that they like, but he also hasn't been able to get healthy. Um, and if he can't get healthy, well, then you're looking at Bruce Hector, who's a guy they kept around for a long time. And then the Demetrius Taylor, the guy they added the out of app state, the rookie, he's got a tremendous first step. So who knows where he can go with that? So, you know, they didn't address 
defensive line or defensive interior in the draft. And it's something that we all kind of pointed to as a long-term need. So I do think it's something that does need to be addressed and it will probably be a higher priority going into next season. But, um, you know, we'll have to see how this all plays out. If, if Levi's healthy, if they can get an, a, a DT four to step up, somebody elevate their game a little bit more. I think it'll, you know, w- with the amount of guys like Hutchinson and Pascal and maybe even Aquara shifting in and pass it rushing situations, I, I think they can, they can live with it for sure. Um, but a couple things need to play out first for us to really know if how significant uh, or how detrimental it might be this uh, season. Ryan, you got anything to, to add on, on this group um, that, that really has more questions than, than answers at this point? Yeah, just a lot of, a lot of pontificating. Um, but I, I think the, the one thing that we, we can't over you know, can't overlook is that when, when the Lions, you know, as, as Eric mentioned, when the Lions drafted Levi, it was like, hey, the Lions are getting this attacking defensive tackle. Like, they're getting this guy who, you know, he played nose at Washington, but at the same time, he projects best to be an attacking, uh, you know, three-tech. The, the, the one thing that I want to propose is, yeah, the Lions didn't really do much to their interior defensive line, but I, I don't think it can be understated how much versatility both Aiden and Pascal have playing five tech. Like I, I, I think that plays a big role in, again, what the lions can do their versatility up front. And, and hopefully, you know, by being more of an attacking scheme, they can, they can, you know, take advantage of, of what those guys can, can offer, uh, you know, in that alignment. Yeah. The, the one thing that really has me pumping the brakes on this unit is, is the back injury with Levi because, I mean, it's a tough one to overcome, right? Those are tough ones to overcome. And, and Levi said it himself. I'll, I'll read a quote directly from him like two weeks ago. He says, you don't really stop feeling it. Everybody is going to feel your back. It's when it doesn't start feeling better. About a couple months ago, I started feeling better and better and better. Now I'm in a good place. It doesn't hurt anymore. I can get off. I enjoy playing football. I come out here every morning and it's fun. But he never stops feeling it. It, it's going to be something that lingers and it's going to be something that flares up. And that that's not good. <laughs> like, I, I don't know any other way to put it. Like back injuries are tough, man. And, and they're going to flare up at certain times and they are, they will uh, impact you. I mean, I, I asked him directly, like how much did that limit? And he, he says, you know, at the end of the day, it's about me getting better. But yeah, it gave me a little limitations in moving and holding my weight and holding other people's weight. Like, you, you don't. I don't know. It, it like 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 Daniel said, it's such a pivotal muscle that even if you go to an attacking mode, you're gonna feel it, and that sometimes you're going to get overwhelmed and you're gonna feel it. And so I just don't know if this is something that goes away from him and and something that's like, oh well, he's better now. We don't have to worry about it. I I don't know. A, a couple of points. Um, one, you got to remember last year, and I think, and he, I don't remember if he pointed this out during this portion of his uh, press conference or if it was at a different portion, but he, he pointed out the fact that he went from his senior season or his junior season at Washington right into draft prep, draft True. prep, yeah. right into draft, right into spring yes. cap, right? And he had no break. And True. the number one thing that you need to let your back get right is rest. And so 100%. he he didn't have time to rest to let that back heal properly. He got that time this year, this offseason, and that's why I think he's in a better spot now. For sure. Um at the same time, 
you could also see the coaching staff try and anticipate uh, him, ha- you know, taking care of that back and giving him rest on certain times, right? So they, this may be a year of taking it slow with him. We might see him not as not in the rotation always and in training camp, right? Because they're not going to want to push it too much so that they can really have him a full go for, for the regular season. So, so how does he, so rest is how you get it better. How do you keep it from sustaining? How do you sustain that back strength? Well, you, you have to get lower body. You have to get stronger in your lower body. You have to get stronger in your back. And that's where the weight program comes in. So, you know, he talked about how the staff had a plan for him and, and, and how they have to, uh, they have him on a schedule and, and he is, he's following it and his body is responding properly. And as long as they stay on top of that and he does what they're asking him to do, there, there's hope that he can, you know, eventually get back to a point where maybe it doesn't bother him as much. All good points. Fair points. Uh, thanks for your question, Daniel. Appreciate it. Hey, that was great. Hey, also, I appreciate the mention that the Demetrius Taylor thing's really intriguing to me because it seems to me like that, I mean, who knows? But with this coaching staff, it seems like that might have a lot of might have a lot of potential. But hey, yeah. really, thanks. Great, great discussion. No problem. Thanks. Uh, and yeah, you always got to keep your eye on the UDFAs. Apparently, with the uh, with this coaching staff. So, uh, yeah. can I? I just want to touch on Taylor real fast. Yeah, he, yeah. Like they have been. They looked. They had a guy on the roster last year called Eric Banks, still on the roster. He's a guy who is essentially was essentially what Pascal is, where he was this defensive end, like five kind of guy who could be a five technique who can also push inside. And, and I see Taylor in this similar mold. And I know we've kind of pushed Taylor on the inside already uh, in our minds a lot, but he's a guy who could end up playing like that kind of, he could be Josh Pascal's like number one replacement. Like if anything happens to Pascal, Taylor could be that like ready-made guy. Cause in app States program, he played the five technique in their four man front. So that's, um, I mean, that's exactly what they're asking Pascal to do. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Taylor, a guy who could maybe be like the 53rd man in or a guy that they really keep deem as a high priority because he has a unique skill set. Now we have to see what he does in camp, but he's definitely the UDFA to, to keep an eye on. There you go. All right, let's move on to Robert. Robert, you're on the show. How you doing, Robert? Doing good. How are you guys doing today? Good, good. Awesome, awesome. Um, so I just want to throw one thing out, and then I'll ask my question. Um, so just my thing with golf, I feel like last year, maybe maybe it was the Vikings game, but I feel like more so after the Cardinals game, like there was a flip switch with him mentally that you kind of saw in uh, the press conferences, and that's kind of what got me to buy back in with mm. him. Um, ahead of the wins and losses, what you saw on the field. But <clears throat> just my two cents on that. I'm sure. curious if you have any thoughts on that. But really what I wanted to talk about, um, and like last week I kind of brought, or two weeks ago, brought up the, you know, Dan Campbell for Coach of the Year. But um, Yeah, you started the hype train on that apparently. I, I guess I did. <laughs> um, yeah, that took off. Um, I'm not going to take all the credit for it, but both <laughs> was pretty nice. Um but what I'm really curious about, so it it got me thinking because of all, you know, everything good going on, you know, everything setting up nicely. So you definitely can kind of feel in the back of your mind, like, all right, what's about to go wrong? But I want to know, like, uh, outside of maybe like quarterback and health, 
this team will hit its ceiling if what happens. Ooh, this is a good one. I like this one. Uh, I'm Ryan. I'm going to force you to answer it first while I think I, think on it. Oh, gee, great, thanks. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. So this team will hit its ceiling if the cornerback room stays healthy. Like I, I, I really think that they are the group that, you know, we we just talked about, you know, all the question marks with the interior defensive line and, and whatnot. But the the outside is such an important position to guard. Like the 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 boundaries are such an important position because of the way that this is a speed league. Right. And, and I think that if, if the Lions can get Jeff Okuda to, to, to have a season where he's healthy and he's on the field, I just think that that's such a huge feather in the cap of this team. Like it, it, I, I, I mean, we, we talk all about, you know, the offense could be a top 10 unit and, you know, the offensive line is incredible and it has good depth at a lot of positions and, you know, now that the Lions have skill positions in place, you know, maybe they'll be able to maximize what Jared Goff can do. But it, it's just about the defensive side of the ball. And and, and I really think the cornerback depth is, is so important. And to the original point that Eric made at the beginning of the podcast, like it's about the top of the depth chart. And it's about guys like Okuda. And it's about guys like Oruarie and, you know, Jerry Jacobs, you know, potentially playing, you know, the nickel spot and, I, I just think that they will hit their ceiling because you saw this in New Orleans, right? You saw this in the steps that they made when Aaron Glenn, you know, came in as a defense backs coach and the way that that kind of transformed their defense, their ability to cover. Um, I, I, I think that that, you know, I, I think that could be a, a huge, huge factor in the Lions reaching their ceiling is if they get really good top notch cornerback play. Eric, I'm going to jump in before you and, and kind of break the rhythm that we normally have on this podcast because I feel like I have a really good answer and a very simple one. I think the answer to whether the Lions will hit their full potential is very simple. It's if all of their 2021 draft picks make that year two jump because so much of their success, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is going to be reliant upon that. It's going to be reliant upon Levi taking a, a year two jump. It's going to be uh, Aleem taking a year two jump, maybe more than anyone, Derek Barnes taking a year two jump. If those guys can improve and be the guys that the Lions thought they drafted last year, you could take a, I mean, I'm not talking a top 10 defense or anything, but you could maybe jump to average. And and you could also theoretically throw Okuda into that conversation because it's essentially his second year as well. Um, but I, I feel like it's, they are going to rely a lot on those guys. And you can throw Sewell in there too, right? He can improve on his pass protection. He was great as a run blocker last year and pretty good as a, as a pass blocker. But if he can lock down the edges that are coming off the right side with Taylor Decker essentially doing that on the left side, well, suddenly you have both elite pass rushers from the defense locked down. So I think if the Lions can just get the absolute most that they can out of that 2021 draft pick and make Brad Holmes look like a freaking genius, this team could make a pretty big jump in, in 2022. I was going to say if the defense can be top a top 20 unit, that that would be a difference. But I'm actually going to change my answer because I feel like that's a little bit close to what you guys have kind of been hinting at. Hinting at. And I'm going to change my answer to saying this team can be can, – can hit their ceiling if the coaching staff continues to close out games. 
right? The one thing that we saw last year um, was in Arizona, in Minnesota, in, in Green Bay, they learned, the coaching staff learned how to close games, right? We didn't see that earlier in the year. Baltimore, the first Minnesota game, they, they, they let the other teams stay in it. But by the end of the year, they were calling plays, putting players in, right, in the right position, and they were finding ways to win. And there are going to be so many tight games, so many games that could be coin tosses if the coaching staff continues to, to show that they can uh, make the right decisions at the right time at the end of the game. Then they're going to win, and they're going to win more than not, and they're going to maximize their efficiency. I, I like that answer a lot too because I think that was, you know, going into November – that was a huge question about this coaching staff. And, and I think going into 2022, it still should be a question because I mean, we all remember the the double timeout thing in, against Chicago on Thanksgiving, right? Like, and, and to be fair, like that was just when the lines were starting, when Dan Campbell was starting to take over play calling. So I think mm-hmm. that whole like game day management is still going to be a work in progress, especially since we don't know for sure who's going to be calling plays. I think we, we all kind of get the feeling it's going to be Ben Johnson, but um I, th- I think that's something they still have to kind of work out the chemistry with everybody and, and see how it plays because yeah, co- I mean, it's, it's the dirty little secret. Like coaching at the end of games is so critical in, in terms of timeout usage, in terms of going for it on fourth down, in terms of whether you're, you're rushing three on a fourth and 20, whatever, all those sort of decisions matter a heck of a lot. And lines definitely did show improvement as the season went on. Um, I don't know if they're, they're where they need to be yet, but that's, that's, that's a good answer. I like that. I get one every once in a while. <laughs> appreciate the question, Robert. That was a, that was also a very thoughtful question. So appreciate yeah, that. For sure. Thanks guys. Um, Real quick. Do you mind telling us just how Levi looks? Does he look stronger, bigger? Well, it, it's kind of hard to say because I haven't seen him out on the field yet. Uh, I've really only seen him in front of a podium. Um, we'll get a look next week. Uh, OTAs next week. I think, Am I allowed to say when when we get to look at them, Eric? I don't know. I have no idea if we are allowed to. We get to, we get one game next week or one practice next. Yeah, week. we'll get one one practice next week, and then is that the week after? Is that mandatory mini camp where we get all three days? No, no. Is we that get, the week after? Yeah, we get okay. we get one next week, one the week after, three in mini camp, and then one in the final week of yeah. uh, as well. So we're going to end up getting five looks at the uh, at the whole roster. Well voluntary but yeah or six looks yeah yeah mandatory is mandatory though so we'll, we'll get a good look at everybody there cool thanks guys no problem all right we're gonna take a break when we come back we'll close out our spotify live with more of your questions we'll be back Closing out our Spotify Live session here, answering your Lions questions on the Spotify Live app every Saturday morning during the offseason. Again, check our website for time when we go live. Uh, let's jump right back into it. We've got Tyler on the line. Tyler, how you doing? Hi, guys. <clears throat> Can you hear me all right? You're good. All right. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. How about yourself? Good. Uh, my question was just... Basically, if you can choose any three players to completely avoid injury through the entire season, which three players would you choose? Ooh, I like this. 
this is this uh, these are one of these questions where you have to kind of come up on the spot um we, I mean, we talked a little bit about it when it term, comes to depth but i think this tackles maybe more of who are the pivotal players that you just can't afford to lose maybe regardless of the depth behind them so i put ryan on the spot last time i'm gonna have to put you on the spot this time eric what do you got Geez, can we can we eliminate Goff again? Because I feel like Goff sure. automatically like takes away a third of the options. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Goff would be the the first one because there is such a drop off. But um, God, you know, this is going to speak to just where my mentality is, and I and it shouldn't. I guess it shouldn't surprise people. But like uh, Decker, Sewell, and Hutchinson. Like if mm. <laughs> those guys play such pivotal roles, the trenches are really where this game is won and lost. And the tackles can, can really just be, oh gosh, I hate that. I, I skipped rag now. That's a shame of me. <laughs> I like, I, hey. I, I, I hate, I mean, can, it'd be can so I switch deck? Can I switch Decker row, for but... right now? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like but, it's, it's really hard did. to narrow to three. Um, no, I'll stick. I'll stick with the tackles and Hutchinson and just say, look, Hutchinson has the potential to completely change how this defense operates. And like Sewell is, I mean, like the these those two players were the first two first round picks in the last two drafts for a reason. You know what I mean? Like they were the ones that, that were so highly targeted by this uh, organization because, and so I don't think if you lose either one of them, I, it does change how that side of the ball operates. And, and Decker just continues to be an underrated guy. I I'm not in love with having Matt Nelson. I think you can get by with certain, with skill players on offense. I think you can get by with different, you know, players on defense as well. So, you know, Hutchinson would be the biggest blow to the defense and the tackles would probably be the biggest blows on offense as much as I am disappointed because I think Frank Greg now is the best player on the team. Um, I'm going to just, I'll stick with those three. I don't, I don't like being limited to three. <laughs> I hope Matt Nelson doesn't listen to this podcast here. Look, I, I like <laughs> Matt Nelson a bunch, but let's, 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 let's be real. Matt, Matt is, is, is one of the best blocking offensive tackles like sixth offensive lineman in the league <laughs> but i don't want him starting like i, I and that look sometimes it's look this is a guy who played defensive tackle or defensive right. end like not too long I'm, ago like he I'm should be happy ball, <laughs> oh I, I now i'm now i'm gonna have to face matt nelson in the locker room. <laughs> all right let's uh let's throw it to ryan who are your three guys that need to be placed in bubble wrap in, in training camp. Yeah. I, I, the only name, cause I, I agree with a lot of what, what Eric had mentioned, but um, what about TJ Hawkinson? I, yeah. I think TJ Hawkinson is a, is a really integral piece just because of what he can add to this offense with the addition of like shark and Jameson and talking about opening, opening up the, the middle of the field for, for him to produce. Um, I think Hawkinson is so important because the talent drop off from him to tight end two is either unknown because it's James Mitchell or it's, you know, really like, you know, special teams level tight end play um, when, when you consider Griffin and Brock Wright. So that's, that's the one player that, that I can add to the conversation. Cause I, I really agree with what Eric had to say about the, the offensive tackles and um, Hutchinson to an extent too. I think the only other guy I would throw into this conversation that we haven't talked about is Tracy Walker. And I'm kind of surprised that Eric wasn't the one to say it, but uh, I mean, 
the Lions wouldn't be completely screwed if he's gone like Deshaun Elliott and, and you throw the rookie into the into the mix. Like I have a feeling Aaron Glenn could make that work, but Tracy Walker is also kind of a, a leader in that secondary, that entire secondary. He he you know, we we all saw the clip of um Dan Campbell saying, like, this is your team now. Like you you are taking control. This is this is all about you. And so I think he's an emotional leader and we we all know how important safety is in this defensive scheme. So I, I think he's he's such an integral part not only to to what they're trying to do on the field, but what they're trying to do off the field. So losing him in any sort of long term capacity would would be an emotional and a, a physical hit to this defense that I don't want to see at all. And there you go. All right. We're gonna leave it at that. Tyler, thanks for the question, man. Yeah, thank you. All right. Let's move on to our next caller. We've got Dan on the line. Dan, how you doing? Hey guys, can you hear me okay? You're good. Okay, well I think I think the other Daniel might have t- taken my uh, well not taken mine, you know what I mean? But I, I I wanted to talk about the defense. I I feel sort of like and I, it, actually when as we were going through the show and talk, and listening to you guys, it was really interesting as well because of the non-focus on the linebacker uh, sort of you know fourth round for Derek Barnes, but then again fourth round for Amon Ra. Do you know what I mean? But I want to talk about the defensive line and the secondary sort of helping that sort of center of the defense because I really enjoyed Eric talking about Ben the last time we all hung out and how he sort of came on slowly last season. I I wanted to focus on the defense in those last few games. You touched on it a little bit with Aline, but with respect to – I'm going all over the place – but with respect to Aaron Glenn and he sort of had that second-year jump with his numbers in, in New Orleans I left a question for the, the Breakdown podcast. I'm just curious if, if any of these players that we've got are really going to help Aaron Glenn. Obviously, that was just for the secondaries with New Orleans, but in the whole defense, because I'm just sort of we, – we seem to know the offense. We've got lots of, you know, what ifs and stuff like that, but I'm really – it's the defense, and, and I've really been enjoying these sort of inter, introductions to the, the lower picks in the draft. And obviously, I was a little hurt with Der- Jeremy saying they're all going to the practice squad if they're lucky, but hey, you're being honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I mean, I, I'm starting to buy the Kool-Aid on some of those late guys too, so we'll, we'll see. <laughs> totally, totally. And I'm sorry, I'll stop, but my, I do have a fun question. Whose jersey did you get, Jeremy? Whose jersey will you buy for your kid, um ryan and and what was the first jersey you bought for your kids eric thanks <laughs> all right let's start with the defense first a little bit let's I, I do want to talk about the defense a lot because i think yeah i think we we just talked about you know how important a, a year two jump would be for this defense and and do you guys view i mean i guess what's your biggest reason for optimism for that year two jump is it is it adding the the two pass rushing specialists and in, or I guess I should say edge guys because Pascal is not, you know, maybe that's not his forte, but um, is it is it the development of the secondary, uh, hopefully in, in the second year under Aaron Glenn? Um, is it the development of the linebacking core in year two? What I guess what reason do you guys have um, for optimism to see maybe a, a potential jump into maybe the, the lower teens or the 20s with the defensive uh, group? For me, it's pass rush. Um, yeah. When we looked at, when we talked at the beginning about the 2020 roster, their uh, top four pass rushers were Flowers, Romeo Aquara, Julian Aquara, and Austin Bryant. Now it's Hutchinson, Romeo Aquara, Charles Harris, Josh Pascal, then Julian Aquara and Austin Bryant. So you've taken edge three and edge four from two years ago, and they're now edge five and edge six, right? Yeah. That depth of, of, uh, of talent 
plus a increase in higher level level talent should have a trickle effect on everybody right yeah. it should be able to affect the interior guys where they're not going to be able to double as much you might get a lean getting singled up and if you get a lean singled up that's an advantage it's going to help free up some secondary uh, where they don't have to cover as long right so for me it's all about it, it it all starts the biggest impact starts up front on on the edge and then with regards to like how can like Aaron Glenn make sure that the, the thing the group sustains better what I noticed with Aaron Glenn, the difference from the beginning of the season versus the end was the Baltimore game. He insisted that he called the right defense, but a player, one player misread the assignment, right? And that's what led to the breakdown in coverage. By the end of the season, you didn't see those lapses from the players and not understanding the assignment, right? And so that second year with Aaron Glenn of learning his system, learning what he wants, and then him learning from his mistakes earlier in the season and making sure that when he sends players out onto the field in the critical spot, that they all know what they're supposed to do. That is going to make a big difference for me in what I think Aaron Glenn will be able to do from a defensive coordinator perspective. Also the Jersey was that I bought for my kid was uh, Barry Sanders. Nice. Nice. Uh, Ryan, anything to, I guess, what gives you the most reason for optimism on, on the defensive side of the ball this year? Yeah, Eric kind of stole my point, but it's fine. He's, uh, he's, he's he does that. Uh, I won't hold it. I won't, <laughs> I won't hold it against him. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just consistency and continuity and um, keeping that, you know, I, I think being able to retain both Aubrey Pleasant and Aaron Glenn and having that same uh, approach, um, just some, some tweaks, right? Like, you know, uh, hey, we're gonna we're gonna take stock of what we have, and now our defensive line we're gonna be more aggressive with our first step. We're gonna be more attacking uh, than we are reactive, and you know making some tweaks, but keeping the core there, which you know we keep on talking about, uh, you know the coaching staff being such an important piece. I think having all of those guys come back, being in a, a second year with 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 Glenn and Pleasant, and, and uh, you know having some other guys like Kelvin Shepard step up and you know, play, play the role that he's playing with the linebackers. I think that that's going to be really important in, in the defense taking, taking its next steps. And the Jersey for, for the newborn. Uh, it's going to say beefcake on the back. <laughs> How dare you? Double zero. Uh, as for the Jersey I bought, you guys are just going to have to find out when it gets here. That, that I, I don't think I, here's the thing I'll say is it will make most people okay. No no one is going to be that offended over my... Or dream. concerned. Are you guys are worried, right? Like, nobody's going to be like, Jeremy has cursed another player. I think that I think that's fair. Yeah. You're, but yeah, you, you guys are just going to have to wait on the reveal. I think I may have revealed it on, on one of our podcasts, or at least during a break of our podcast. But either way, go back and look. Maybe you'll find it. I will do that. Thanks so much, guys. <laughs> Have a great weekend. You too, Dan. Appreciate the call. All right. We are going to close things out here with Nathan. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good, good. Okay. So what is the plan at linebacker? They have a couple of smaller special teams guys that can do some coverages. They have Anzalone and Davis and Barnes at inside linebacker. And then they have Aquara, Houston, 
and even Hutchinson for like an outside linebacker slash edge player that they can use. Uh, what do you think they're going to do? It's a great question uh, because obviously the, the more four down front means changing the, the second level of the defense a little bit too. And, and I think we mentioned it earlier in the podcast. There's just so much unknown about this group because we don't know who's got starter upside and who doesn't. Um, <laughs> Eric, I, I think I'm going to throw it to you first. Just how do you see this linebacker group playing out in terms of scheme, in terms of players? Do you have any good see, ideas? Yeah, I don't want to steal Ryan's thunder. I want to offer no, Ryan the okay. opportunity. <laughs> all right, all right. Hey, well, then let me do it real quick. Because here, here's the thing. Like, I, I think in our discussions that we had with Tiger Talk, Jeremy, yeah. um, with, with those guys over there who – great podcast. Go check that out. Um, was season two, episode three, right? Um, I just got to keep on plugging that uh, <laughs> of, of, of the Coach Prime uh, documentary. Uh, but I, I think, you know, rookie minicamp was a big reveal, right? Like seeing James Houston with the linebackers was like, oh, yeah. okay. So like this guy's going to, this guy's going to be here now. And, you know, the talk that we had again with Scott Wright from the Oklahoman, it's like, well, it seems like Malcolm Rodriguez is coming in to take Jalen Reeves Maven spot. Um, you know, special teams guy could maybe moonlight as a starter, could play in some sub packages, especially with his versatility, his, you know, history playing safety um, and, and what he can kind of do in terms of the versatility on, on defense uh, playing in, in different spots. But the, the James Houston thing seems it, that's the most intriguing one. Like that's the thing that like, I, I wasn't totally sold on James Houston as, as a player and as a fit, especially when the lions went, you know, Pascal and Hutchinson, I, I should have just understood like, hey, the Lions see him as a linebacker and they see him as a pass rushing threat. And it, it seems like there's a lot of overlap between him and Jared Davis. So I think that's going to be a really, really interesting camp battle to, to keep your eyes on um, as, uh, as you know, the offseason kind of ramps up. So um, those are all the points I have. I, I will now concede the floor to, to Eric. Well, I, I want to talk a little bit about that. And I'll, I'll set up Eric that this way. Is that kind of outside linebacker spot? Because I, I know you weren't there at rookie minicamp, but they obviously had James Houston playing a little bit on the edge, mostly off ball, but a little bit on the edge. And yeah, Ryan mentioned, you know, that that's something that Jared Dave, like a lot of people thought Jared Davis could do that they didn't really use uh, a lot. And, and you know, it, it's something that maybe Julian O'Quara would, would thrive at as, as someone who could also occasionally drop into coverage. Is that some? Is that going to be kind of like a new position that we really didn't see much of over last year? It's hard to tell right now, right? Because yes. like the the way that their system is designed is if you're going with the four man front and then you play with a five man secondary, like eighty plus percent of the time, like they did last year. Right. That that only leaves two linebacker spots, right? Yeah. And, and in my kind of guesstimation on on what they're doing is from the players that they're collecting is they're collecting three styles of linebacker for two linebacker spots. So you're going to have your mic, but then I think your, your kind of secondary linebacker spot is going to have different responsibilities. Um, and what I mean by that is that there's going to be times when that player is just going to be asked to play a traditional linebacker role. And then there's going to be situations where they're going to be asked to attack the the passer whether it's by blitzing the a gap or whether it's a blitzing off the edge that they want to have this this a player that's more flexible in the style of play that they have 
We saw this a little bit from Anzalone last year. If you remember late in the season, Anzalone blitzed a couple of times off of the edge, right? And was, I remember sitting next to you and we're, we're at Fort Field and watching it and we watched him like line up at the edge. And I, I think we even right. pointed to it mid play and sure enough, he came off and he got that second. I think they want that type of player in their arsenal. And yes, James Houston, Jared Davis, Derek Barnes. Derek Barnes was an edge rusher for three years. You know what I mean? Like, like you, Houston Davis Barnes are all three guys that can rush the passer, but can also play off, off the ball. And so um, you've got your guys that are more like your mics, like Anzalone. Uh, Josh Woods did well in that role when Anzalone was hurt last year. Malcolm Rodriguez, Anthony Pittman. Those guys are more like your traditional mics. Then you have like Chris Board and uh, Sean, ha- Sean Dion Hamilton. Those are guys that fill the more traditional off the ball will or what they call the buck last year. I think they're going to go back to will. That's my guess. But um, the, where they're going to be mostly off the ball can exist in coverage. And then you have these hybrid guys like Barnes, like Davis, like Houston, that are guys that are both going to have to play at the will, but they're also going to be more pass rushing, pass rushing, you know, specialists. And so in my opinion, they're going to try and keep like two guys that can do each thing. Right. Or at least, you know, a couple of guys that can do each thing. So you maybe end up like with Anzalone and like uh, Malcolm Rodriguez as like your kind of stack one, two Mike. And then you may end up with like Derek Barnes or Chris board, depending on which role you're looking for that week. That one of those guys could end up being the starter. Maybe Hamilton comes in and, and, and pushes board off that spot to, to be there. Uh, maybe. And then now Houston is maybe redundant to Derek Barnes and, Jared Davis now becomes a little bit more susceptible unless he can expand his role a little bit more than what we've seen in the past. So, you know, they've got eight guys. I think they're going to keep five, maybe six. Um, and and I do think they're going to look for a little bit of redundancy in having these two roles expand over three spots. Again, that's my guess. Um, we'll see how it plays out, but that's kind of what I am envisioning. Yeah, and and like like I said, next week is is the first OTAs open to uh, to the public, and I think we're gonna get a lot of of some an- not every answer obviously, but we're gonna get uh, initial answers, let's say, to kind of how that depth chart is currently set up, and obviously a lot can change before September, but um, it's an exciting but time. Not open to the public, open to the media. I'm sorry, open yeah. to the media. I don't want sorry. people to get excited. Yeah, they're gonna get a chance to go. No one knock it. No one go up to Ford Field and knock on the door. I'm sorry, <laughs> to, to Allen Park, Park and knock on on the doors. They're they're not going to let you in. But uh, yeah, I, I, like I said, it, it's gonna be the first time we really get to see, especially on defense, all of the the schematic changes that we've made so much about this off season. And uh, linebacking cores is, is definitely gonna be one of the things I keep my personal eye on. So appreciate the question, Nathan. And I think we're going to call it there, guys. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thanks to Ryan. Thanks to Eric for taking a, a 90 minutes out of their, their Saturday mornings to answer a bunch of Lions questions. We, we have a blast doing this sort of stuff. So keep them coming. We're going to keep the, the shows coming every Saturday that we can. Uh, but until next time, for Ryan, for Eric, I'm Jeremy. Thanks for listening. It's chaos. Be kind. Be kind.